You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. You know what's weird? If you drink light beer, that when you drink a normal beer, it tastes very gamey. Gamey beer? I don't know. Like I, no, I just had that Corona, but I've been... Because we bought all these for um, the party that we have for my son's graduation. Mm-hmm. Obviously not for the kids, but for everybody else who came. And I bought, they bought like cases of this stuff. And I've been drinking those lights, light Miller Light. And then I just had that Corona. It literally tasted like shoe leather. Oh, really? It was super gamey, like compared to the light beer, probably because I've just been and drinking That's not even, uh, you know, it's not like an IPA or anything like that. It has like no, that's real flavor. Crazy talk. I was into the IPAs for a while, but now I'm... I'm now a, I'm over it. I'm a historical corona hater. It, you, well, there, it's, not, not it's, just a disease. It's gone through <laughs> also <the> beer. <laughs> also the beer. It's gone through phases. I'm a historical IPA hater. No, that's not true. I liked IPA for a period of time. I really did. I, I, I thought it was very interesting taste and all of that stuff when I was more into beer. Then I stopped like really caring about beer and then it was just the thing I always found kind of kind of funny. And I wanna wonder like going back to like the cultural insight. Mm-hmm. Is the very first Fast and the Furious. Do you remember this? Do you remember the very first Fast and the Furious, which happened like 30 years ago at this point? Yeah. It's okay. So, a funny story on Fast and Furious. I actually never saw a Fast and Furious movie until two months ago. And my son, his girlfriend, one of my sons, his girlfriend, like, I don't know, got him into it. And he's watched every one. He's like, Dad, I got to show you this one. And I watched the first one, the super 90s one with like the terrible acting and all this stuff. Right. And, and uh, Paul Walker was in it. Yeah. yeah. So, that's li- literally that was like that was six weeks ago. So you've seen the first one, right? Yeah. So in the first one, for whatever reason, Vin Diesel's character really loves Corona. Like that's all they'll drink. <laughs> it looks like a Corona. <laughs> and I always thought, though. like, why? Like, why is it? Why do you drink that? <laughs> because that's. I mean, you know, I think that they, it's evolved though. It's been. Uh, it was one thing initially, it, and now it means something very different. And there was a whole controversy with, with Corona when um, COVID started because of the name, right? There was like a whole thing of like, is this going to hurt sales? Is gonna, there was a whole conversation there's, around that. There's been so much stupidity as it relates to coronavirus. That's true. How people react that to it in is the true. dumbest way possible. And that that you think that you, right, that somehow the, the, the beer sales of Corona extra should be hampered because of coronavirus. My first experience with Corona was being 15 years old. And going and visiting my childhood friend in Mexico, in Guala. Well, he's actually, his family is in Mexico City. But when I was really, when I was young, when I was like f- five, six years old, um, I, w- I lived in Mexico City and I went to school with this guy, Luis Bernardo, great guy, great kid. And um, he invited me back. Like I left Mexico when I was like seven or eight and hadn't been back in a long time, but we always kept in touch, our families did. And he invited me to come back one summer when I was 15 years old. And I mean, like, talk about one of those moments that you remember of like an inflection point in your childhood, right? So this was this kid, like we drove around Mexico City in his car, like he had this little Volkswagen thing and we were all over the place. He was a pretty well-off kid. Like he had a lot mm-hmm. of things that, that, you know, a lot of yeah. kids didn't have. Uh-huh. But I remember we went to his whatever summer place was in, uh, in Jalisco, in Guadalajara, and he wanted to buy a whole case of Corona. And I was like, I don't think I'd ever had a beer at that point. I was 15, 16 years old. But we just got 
blitzed on Corona. That's what right. I remember about Corona. And it's actually a good, it's a lucky thing that I even can have it because it was one of those experiences where I, I it was I, so bad. Yeah. I did not do well, but it was definitely one of these like summers of transformation. You know, we, we like, well, we did all sure what's great stuff. about that is that you went to the store as kids, ordered beer and no one questioned it. Not even <laughs> great. Once. <laughs> it was like literally walk in <laughs> with the case in your hand. You're 15 years old. They're like, yeah, no problem. And then we rode uh, off like in a, you know, in, in a car. And I also remember that he taught me what a parking brake did. Uh, well, actually he showed me what a parking brake can do, not what it's designed to do. He was like, you know, going like 40 miles an hour and went to this turn and just pulled on the parking brake and the thing just went like completely fishtailed. Yeah. That was the first time that I experienced that as well. That was your your first Fast and the Furious So <laughs> shout out to uh, Luis Bernardo uh, out in uh, Mexico City. Good, good guy. Hilarious. Yeah. So that's my story on, uh, on, on beer and Mexico and all kinds of stuff. By the way, they sell beer at AMC. They do. We're talking about AMC. And... Uh... And there's plenty of memes that have uh, Corona, so... I don't understand anything about this whole... It, not not understand anything. I just don't really get the whole idea of the meme stocks and all. I, I mean, sure. I really don't. So it's, I, it's, there's there's a learning super, curve for me on this deep dive. I think there's so much about this that I find so, so interesting. Um, but is it all not just a sign that we're like... I mean, this is like the end of civilization as we know it. Come on, this is like another... <laughs> No, I think I think it's actually not. You think that. it's a good thing? I, 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 no, I think I don't think it's a good thing. I think it highlights the problem with how in many cases our financial industries are are pretty screwed up. Yeah. That we claim that they're so awesome and free markets and these are great, but they're not. They're yeah. they're they're driven by the rumor by the rumor mill. And I think these but guys just have. literally that's my point. Do you remember that movie? Remember Wall Street, the original Wall by Street? The way, th- that is my point, Charlie. Yeah. Is that all of this is done is just highlighting the, in many cases, stupidity of how we actually place value on these type of organizations that many times it literally is driven by rumor. Do you remember the first Wall Street? Did you see both Wall Streets? I did, yeah. Okay, the first one, Oliver uh-huh. Stone one. Yeah, yeah. Actually, he may have done the second one too. I think I don't he know. did both of them. But anyway, in the first one, there's this scene where, and he, he's famous for this kind of, um, it's called parallel editing, where you basically have multiple scenes that are happening at the same time in, from a viewer's perspective, even though they're happening in, dif- in different places. Mm-hmm. And what he basically shows is that at some point, the idea of this one stock, remember the whole like uh, Blue Horseshoe I, Loves? I barely whatever. remember that movie, but yeah. Well, anyway, it's what you Charlie just... Charlie was was in it, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it, it, it was basically what you just described, which is somebody wants to basically sp- spike the market. So they start calling people and are like, oh yeah, guess what? Um, Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. That was the line. Anacott Steel was the stock. And then people start to, I was like, oh yeah, I heard from uh, such and such that you should really get sure. in. And, and like, it shows that scene of like everybody talking about it. And next thing you know, the thing's just going through the roof on the basis of nothing. Nothing, yeah. No fundamental yeah. change in the stock and the business and anything other than people saying like, it's FOMO. Before we had That's a name exactly for it. exactly Before we had is. a name for it. So yeah, so we thought, we thought this would be an interesting topic to talk about, you know, today in our deep dive. And in part because... It was just reported by the New York Times that AMC, right? So this is the the company that owns the the theater chain, is a theater chain company, uh, who was literally at the brink of bankruptcy just a few months ago. You know, decided to like really embrace their status of being a meme stock, and we'll talk about specific, we'll talk about what what makes it a meme stock. But but it actually sold over half a billion dollars in new shares in a matter of hours. That's crazy. Half a billion. Yeah, half a billion dollars, right? And this is not all of it because they've actually been doing that a number of times, right? It's a thousand so this is like millions. The, this is the, the latest, uh, 587, 587 million, just to be more more specific. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what was interesting is as as it was actually stated within their actual, with a piece that talked about their their pitch, their pitch itself is actually slightly conflicted. They're being pretty transparent about that this thing is not, you know, may not be as awesome as, as it sounds, but they're being transparent. They literally said, as you know, we're selling new shares of stock but don't buy them unless you can afford to lose all your money. Well, also free popcorn. That's cr- but, but right like, like that's the <laughs> This is the part that I'm talking about, right? So yes, they're being transparent and right. showing the fact that By the way, this is the what happens with all shares. You should be ready to lose all your money yeah. when you invest, right? They're just being very explicit about it, but they're adding that promotional layer to it. Also free popcorn. Yeah, also free popcorn. <laughs> so, you know, the company basically is raising cash from investors. Knowing that the this, this surge in stock price has nothing to do with the actual business, right? So, and and what's been interesting here is that, you know, part of the conflict here is that the actual bullish approach that these investors ha- have had is is still at the face of knowing that this is a pretty challenged business, yeah. right? 
So therefore, the rise that the stock has had recently has nothing to do with the business actually getting better, right? So AMC, you know, has continued to lose audience to Netflix and to other streamers, and which, by the way, has only gotten worse in the context that now we see a number of different streamers that are now co-premiering films on their platforms as well, rather than just having the exclusive window for, uh, for theaters, right? Now, here's some quick stats. AMC lost $149 million in 2019. Is that all? The last time that it turned any kind of profit was in the second quarter of, of 2019, right? So in this, so you think about it in the context of, of COVID, this was a year before COVID started. Yeah. <laughs> the last time it turned any kind of profit. So it's a, it's a business that was already super challenged, right? And the business still has about $5.4 billion in long-term debt and $5 billion in long-term leases, right? Yikes. Now, what's driving this, this sort of spike in valuation is, is really by these Reddit investors, who you can say are at least in part motivated by you know their goal of basically you know sticking into the man. There's definitely there's a, a lot of, of that. There's a lot of shot in Freudian this for and, sure. And and the man in this case being you know hedge those funds. hedge funds, yeah. especially those that have been you know shorting some of these stocks. A lot right? of people don't understand that that's how a lot of these guys make money, right? They bet against things. They bet against like the Big Short, that another another yeah, great but movie, they, right? But that's that's the this is their, that's their business. That yes, that's their business, but it also shows how flawed this whole system is because by them shorting the stocks, as drives the stock to go, should go lower. Think about right. that, right? It's, like, it's, like it, the, it's a, it's a fade out complete. It's if a, you, it's if a, you hear yeah. someone say, like, oh, the stock's getting shorted by a bunch of different funds. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm, maybe I should pull my money out. I pull my money out of that stock because it's getting shorted. So they must know something I don't know. And you get the circular conversation. All of a sudden that drives the stock price down. And, these guys make out like, like you know, like bandits. Yeah, right? it's almost so, like going to a new restaurant and saying, "I think the food's gonna come out a little late and cold." Really? Have you ever been there? Nah, but I just have this feeling. Really? Maybe I shouldn't go. Yeah, right. you shouldn't go. And like <laughs> a thousand people are like, "I'm not gonna go." The food's gonna be late and cold. I'm like, "Has anyone actually eaten here? <laughs> exactly. Has anyone eaten here?" But you know, and when you think about this example of these meme stock, probably the best example that you know that we could all think of is what happened with GameStop, right? And by the way, even BlackBerry also benefited from this. But back in January of this year. And this is the well, this is the news that really like kind of broke the whole thing, right? Um, back in January, you know, the, this sort of rise of of these Reddit investor calls for GameStop market valuation to increase to over twenty four billion from two billion in a matter of days. <laughs> Think about that, Charlie. GameStop, okay, this thing, they 10, were shutting down stores 11X, everywhere. Eleven X right? increase because we think about what's happening, and for those that may, I'm sure everyone's familiar, but let's say for a few that may not know what GameStop is, right? This is a retail store, mm-hmm. physical outlets that actually sells video games. Mm-hmm. Now, what's been happening in the video game industry historically is that they're moving more and more to that. Once you buy the console, you could just download the games directly on, on you know from the internet. So the need for having these physical locations is like they're the blockbuster of video games. If you if you if there's a good comparison, right? Um. By the way, during the same time, its shares actually rose by over 1,700% between December and January. Now, some of that- Which, by the way, these companies call volatility. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's true. It is, but it's kind of a cute name, right? It's volatile. Like, like we have, there's nothing, we don't understand where this is coming from. It's like the wind or or tectonic plates. Yeah. That whole thing started by basically a group of, of investors who are- you know, kind of frequent these, some of these these discussion boards on Reddit. There was one specifically called Reddit's Wall Street Bets. So what this discussion board does, it actually tracks the things that Wall Street is betting, you know, for and against. For and against. And, you know, as a group, they collectively sort of put their financial firepower behind this thing and say, hey, we're going to rally. We're going to prove them wrong. And it was a massive issue. I mean, they put some hedge funds in a really difficult position. Are they trying to, to like really like putting them out of, literally putting them out of business. Are they trying to prove them wrong or are they trying to just stick it to them? Stick it to them. Because and also improving the fact that by them play, I mean, kind of what I'm saying, right? Is like they they are creating the market by placing these bets to begin with, and they basically took their exact same game and used it against them. Uh, and it put some of these. Uh, I mean, that was it was actually very well reported about how some of these firms like really got really hurt because they were running out of cash because they were they were you know they had all of these, these shorts against these stocks and all of a sudden these stocks are going the complete opposite direction. And, you know, like it puts them in a really difficult position as, a, as, as an investor because of that, right? As th- of the categories of people that elicit the least amount of sympathy, hedge fund managers are probably For in sure. Yeah, exactly. And they were all like, all of a sudden, everyone was like, oh, we need better regulation. We got to... People were pissed across the board. Like people asking for more regulation all of a sudden. People that love free market, going back to my quotes of free markets. Mm-hmm. This is free markets. Mm-hmm. So little people that got themselves organized were like, okay, we're going to do, do our part to... On these companies that we love, and once again, the stick it to them. I think it's like a, a little bit of we love, and there's a big stick it to the man that they did, right? But you know what's interesting about this conversation is it has it has real impact on those companies, right? 
the, by the way, AMC's value has been raised by more than 500% over the last month with a market value of more than $30 billion now. And their CEO seems to like be all for it. He's like recapitalizing. He's using for like- sure. And they've actually, so we, you know, they did half a billion just recently, right? That's why this news came up. But altogether, they've raised $1.2 billion in capital this quarter by selling, by selling shares. That's real cash. Now, going back to the circular situation, right? That's $1.2 billion that this company can now use to better invest, build infrastructure. So all of a sudden, a meme or you know, a meme stock out of like nothing created fake value, literally, that they, they turned that into they, real, real value, value, which is cash. Or real cash, yeah. Into real cash that could then turn into actual value. And then you sort of now have this company that actually may be worth more because they were able to raise all this capital. They okay, so have then the question otherwise. is, in a, in a crazy uh, game theory scenario, do the hedge funds now begin to somehow infiltrate the Reddit people to force these things to sure. kind of play like the 3D chess? You don't think it's already happening? I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I'm this sure is it is. A- it's like, we know these guys will bet against this. So let's say we're for this. So they won't bet. Like, there's all, I'm sure, right. all those machinations. Yeah, this is like the whole thing. Did you, did you ever watch, um, uh, oh, just blanked. Uh, the one with, um, what was it about? The Matrix. Sorry, I don't of know, course. I right? Yeah. This, this is the whole scene where, where he meets the Oracle and she's like, have a cookie and don't worry about the, what is it, the lamp or the vase? Yeah, don't was. worry about the thing you're about to do. Right. Over. He's like, like, what lamp? And it turns around and breaks it. <laughs> And then he's like, how did you know it was going to happen? Like, well, really blow your mind as if I hadn't told you about it, we still break it. That is literally this. Literally this. It's, it's really interesting in my mind. I think it, it definitely does show a lot of the flaws that we have and how we value, um, you know, organizations in the, in the value that they actually have. Because these, these kind of rumors literally can create like real value, real capital. How much capital do they, you know, sort it around? Uh, the, the, the really practical example, I think, for people that I could think of, and look, I don't know the space well enough to say this is all nonsense, but I definitely always feel like nonsense, is that the second any news comes out about some shortage in oil, some expected shortage in oil in the Middle East or anything, all of a sudden, why does your gas go up immediately where you are? Like, have you ever noticed that? Like, yeah. the, the response to the prices is so dynamic. It was like, first of all, there's no way that you already got imp- impacted right. as the news broke, and it's already, like, adjusted and the consumer is the one that gets screwed every, every single time in that, pro- in that process, right? Yeah, in that case, that value chain is super tight. Super tight. Right, it's exactly. like, wow. It, but it's never the inverse, right? It's like, True. Oh, it's like, oh, let me just drop it by 50% really quick. Because things are good. Because things are great. We feel pretty good. It, it's, it, it really is, is super concerning. If you're the CEO of AMC, are you doing something different with what this guy's doing? I think AMC is, is is I think AMC in my mind has been extremely smart about this. They're they're embracing their kind of cult following. And give me like a shout out to these Reddit investors because there is, I mean, the, the thing else to keep in mind is people that are buying the stock, that's real money coming in. For sure. People that are buying those shares, that's for real sure. money that is actually pumping into the stock. Yeah. So I think for, if you're AMC, I think it's, it's great what they're doing. They're saying, hey, listen, thank you guys. Like my, our, fan, our fan group, by the way, a lot of risk. You, you will get popcorn, free popcorn. There's a lot of risk in this. Thank you for the support. Let, I'll tell you what, we're going to create some real change with the money, with the opportunity, with the lifeline that you, that you just gave us. We're going to create some real Even opportunity. Even though the motivation for giving the lifeline may be different than them for actually sure. caring about AMC. Absolutely. It right? may be just more about and, sticking and it, it to a hedge fund. I, I think so. I mean, I'm sure there is some level There's of some. love. And maybe of, that's know. the right combination of a meme stock is one that actually has a little bit of love, has a little bit of that kind of nostalgia or whatever it may right. be, Blackberry, all these things. Yeah. But also this kind of stick it to the man dynamic. I think it may have both. Uh, absolutely. Like I was I was at a dinner uh, last night, um, quick tangent, and we were in downtown LA. And, you know, the person I was having dinner with was telling me about going to this place called Clifton's that, you know, was kind of had turned into like this kind of bar kind of place. And he was saying, I used to come here as a kid with my family. And, and I was like, oh, what was it when I was a kid? Like, oh, it's a cafeteria. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, for mm-hmm. me, I used to watch, my parents used to take us to the Orpheum in down, downtown as a kid sure. yeah. to watch movies. Mm-hmm. And I have to imagine there was a lot of other movie theaters a lot closer. But for whatever reason, it was kind of like the Sunday outing. Let's go watch a movie at, uh, at the Orpheum. So I will put Orpheum in my mind. And that's, by the way, for those that maybe not in LA. That's a really historic movie theater. Then now still you just use some once in a while for a play and things like that. They actually shoot content there all the time. They're always like have some kind of production because it's, it's a beautiful theater on the inside. But yeah, back in the day, it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was it was a, an active theater. Like I, I will put them in that same kind of like category. category. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's smart what, what AMC is doing. I think they're being open about the fact that is, you know, it's a lot of volatility to your point. People can lose all their money. And then say, look, let's use this this momentum that we're getting right now, this attention, to actually 
raise real capital that can create that that creates that lifeline for the company. I think the question becomes, what are they going to do with it? Because that's really the biggest issue is all of the dynamics that were already there before this started to happen are still there. And how does cash change that? How does cash change that? I think part of how cash could change that is they do they still have a massive distribution platform, right? And what have all distribution platforms have done? They all get into content. Sure. Right? Like that's when you control both the content and the distribution. Which that is precisely be, what it's really interesting. Very interesting. And if you think about the people who are actually, although that would piss off a lot of their current partners, of course. But their parents right? are already like betting on them as well. Like that's what that's what they're they betting this, against them. It was was it actually AMC or who was it the one that had like a big a big beef with uh was it was with it, Universal with Universal? Uh, I don't know if it was Cinemark or it AMC. Was, it may but, have been Cinemark, yeah. but because when they announced like, hey, we're gonna start launching our films day and date, day and date, and it was like a big big issue. Sure. So the reality is, let me see it as look, this is gonna happen anyway. You know, is there an opportunity for us to... Uh, that would be pretty radical thinking, to, I mean, like, to yeah. actually start developing, you know, stories and all that kind of stuff. Or, or the other one could be is we're going to lean into experience, 100%. Sure. Because part of the way, part of the reason why when you look at... at, at um, Especially coming out of COVID, too. There's an opportunity now as people yeah. are clamoring for, like... When, when you look at the actual receipts, right, from, from film, like how, many, how much money, the gross receipts of a film... A lot of it is not just viewed that is more people watching them, but the price per ticket has gone up so much. It's huge. Now, it gets to this point now that for a lot of people, like, well, if I'm going to pay, you know, this much, if I want to take a family of, of two or three, I'm, I'm spending $100 in a movie theater. That's a lot, right? But the way that some of these theaters have actually responded to that is creating more experience, whether it's with food, whether back, it's, beer, you know, right back to our yeah, conversation. Beer, whether it's with like, you the, know, the having 4D experiences, 3D, shape 4D, the seat, all that stuff. But maybe it's even beyond that, right? Maybe you got to think about like fully experiential things that they get, get into and frankly diversify because right now they all always have been in the experience game. But they don't. But own, it's experience. But they don't own any directly of the IP. to IP that's coming in a window. Correct. That, right. So maybe the, maybe the opportunity is like, can we also can we expand our experience game, right? But with IP that we actually have share of, right? So uh, as an example, of that is there is um, there is uh, the the Netflix show Stranger Things, mm-hmm. right? There was this great and I, downtown and, experience. Yeah, I wish I would. I didn't get a chance to actually see it, but there was like this this downtown experience that was built out here in LA, all around Stranger Things and. To, and I have no idea who pulls it off. I know nothing about sort of the background in but terms of licensing. But to your point, that's something that was that could be an interesting thing for sure. someone like AMC to say, hey, we have locations, we have physical spaces. You know, in some cases, it may not merit anymore to have as many physical spaces as we have. Maybe we already own buildings, are already in leases. Can we do something more experiential in those places and use this capital to finance that? I, I think that's, that's kind of an, interesting. I think that's definitely an interesting strategy and thought to like really lean into the whole idea of what makes leaving home interesting and owning that right now we talk about like the living room experience the mobile experience the 12 foot 10 foot two foot all that crap like well who owns the irl experience of this kind of stuff right i can't really sure i mean maybe theme parks and things like that come to mind right but especially rebounding out of COVID, you can make a case that there's going to be actually a pretty big spike you would think so right and i think the 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 thing for them is was become apparent is the film itself is no longer a good enough reason for people to leave home. Correct. Because there's just way too many options, either once again to get them day and date, or there's just so much other content. So even you say, yeah, that's okay, I'll wait. I'll wait the whatever weeks it takes for this film to actually make it to on demand, whatever may be, may be the case. Because, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it took a while, right? It was theater, then DVD, right? Or, or home entertainment. Home entertainment, right? Like VHS or, or, or DVD, right? And then it was like to see what platform we actually will, will come on, right? Usually cable, like HBO, et cetera, before. And it was like, wait, like three, four years later before you got it in your regular cable. It's a weird thing because I went, so I hadn't told you this, but I went to, um, on Sunday, this last Sunday, I went to the movies for the first time in a year and a half. And I, my granddaughter, as you know, Jesus is here with us for, uh, you know, some time. But I, I, we took her to see this new Spirit movie, like the, the Oh, with the horse? Yeah, mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about. Like it's not a movie that you know. Forty seven Netflix property, you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. No, this a series has been going on for a long time. David did, but a, I think there was a movie before the Netflix thing too. David that was the original uh, Spirit. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, because my daughter saw the original Spirit. Oh, interesting. Way back, David yeah. did uh, a, ver- a version of that well, that was fully interactive on Netflix. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You could cool. like cho- choose your own adventure kind of thing. My point is, it's Spirit is not the kind of thing that a forty-seven-year-old guy goes like, "I got to go see this in the movies." Like, it's just not the kind of thing. Nevertheless, I got to tell you something, being in the theater, and I know it's not, there's obviously just some contrast to where we've been, but being in the theater, big screen, 
popcorn experience I, I outing with family. I There's that. some intangible that's so cool about that, but it's in that nether region between it's definable and unique and cool, but it's not enough. It's just not enough to get you out of your thing on its own. It's like a, right. It's like a, once you're there, it's great. It's, once you're there, you're like super appreciative. You're like, I love this. But it's just it's in that weird nether region. I'm trying to think of other products that are in that kind of weird nether region, where it's like it's really cool and you appreciate it. Not enough to get you there, and it's it's a tricky spot to be. Yeah, I think the gym may fall in that category for some people. The what? The gym. The gym. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a really good one. That's uh, actually a, that's actually a really good one. That's that's true. That that probably um, is in in that category. But yeah, I, look, I mean, there is a real <clears> opportunity <throat> for AMC to do something with this cash, and I think they are being you know pretty transparent. So sure. everyone, you know, eyes wide open in terms of what they're walking into. But it is so interesting that we may be going into a whole new era of what it means um, in terms of, and maybe like the like longer term, what does it mean in terms of the, the you know, the capital markets and, and how value gets created or destroyed overnight of, of how we it's look amazing. at prospectus of these different companies that in part is based on performance, but part is just based on, um, on, uh, on reputation, right? Like reputation management becomes like an even bigger thing for these companies. I haven't seen it yet, but this is the subject matter of a very cool doc. Or a very cool podcast. The idea of these meme stocks, how they originate, how they vi- the yeah. virality of it, the explosion of it, and what the real implications in life are about it. But um, anyway, more there. We'll uh, we'll leave that where it's at, and we'll move on to courage or cringe. But super fascinating. And look, I'm rooting for movies. I'm rooting for movies. I for hope sure. that they they stick around. I'm old school that way. Yeah, um, I, I I love movies. I I love the drive-ins. You know. Those of, you know feel like they made a little bit of a comeback with with COVID. They was like even drive in not just for comedy the swap shows. Meet. Yeah, even, even like drama, drive in uh, comedy shows. That was like, one of the first things they oh, were really? doing initially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As people were trying to do live performances, but um, yeah, I love that. So, cool, cool, cool. I, cool. I hope they work it out. Me too. All right, so courage or cringe? Courage Fun or stuff. Cringe. We got uh, hamburgers. We've got um, uh, high school graduations. graduations, which are very much in uh, in uh, in vogue right now. And we've got uh, uh, Kim's Convenience. Great show. Yeah, great great show on Netflix. Um, yeah, courage or cringe? Burger King. So Burger King is using their announcement to support an LGBTQ organization during Pride Month uh, to throw shade at Chick Fil A. Mm. So courage or cringe? Right. So, I, I really, there's so much about the story that I love. Uh, just the more I dug into it, initially I was a little bit, I was like, eh, it's so short. I don't know if I want to talk about this, but this is a pretty fun one. So, the chicken sandwich wars are obviously back in full swing. What the right? hell happened that made chicken so popular lately? No idea. There's hot chi- like the hot chicken, by the way, I fell for this, the hot chicken stuff. And you know this, you were just telling me about the chicken wings. I don't know where this came from. I, chicken was something that like I had a passing interest in. No, now, no idea. No idea I, what it came I, from. I literally am very interested in chicken. And I don't know if I've been programmed this way. Am I so, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it, it had to be Popeye's, like the one that kind of brought it back, no? But you know what? For me, like where it started for me is we went to Nashville for a Titans game because my son's favorite team is the Titans. And for his birthday, for his 16th birthday, we flew out to Nashville to see a game. And I had Nashville hot chicken there. Yeah. And then I realized there's hot chicken everywhere because it's like a big thing. Yeah. And that got me into chicken. That got me into spicy chicken. Now there's these chicken sandwiches and these wars. And so I kind of fell into it in a weird way, yeah. but it's everybody's in it. They, they are, right? So uh, speaking of chicken, so just this last week, Burger King came out swinging, right? And, and decided to use, as mentioned in the headline, its announcement for Pride Month to throw some shade at Chick-fil-A, right? So Burger King on Twitter... And, you know, as part of their, uh, they announced this on Twitter as part of their Pride Month, said that they will be donating 40 cents from the purchase of every chicken, which is the name of their chicken sandwich. Love that. Uh, sold this month up to a maximum donation of $250,000 to the Human Rights Campaign, which is the country's largest LGBTQ advocacy group. Can I ask you a quick question on that? Yes. If it's going to be a maximum of 250000 why make it 40 cents? Like, why not just get there faster? Make it like 100% of the proceeds until we get to two fifty. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's a it's a thing where they. I mean, the, the part of the balancing act here, I'm sure, has a lot to do with with the fact that it's a franchise model, and how much of this they're trying to help generate sales for the businesses that can still capture that revenue. Uh, I'm guessing that, and and selling that as like, you're gonna give away chicken sandwiches, like 100 percent for a certain period of time. I think it's probably a harder sell. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how they do this, but in some cases, I think for some of these these companies, they have to get buy in by the of by course. the franchisees in terms yeah. of support it. So. That's a wild guess. I don't know, but I think that's maybe related. Seems kind of weird. 
Um, I mean, I think the amount is sort of random, but the fact that people will say a hey, X amount of every purchase, that's a pretty common, I get the 40, common I get the 40 cents, but when you cap it, it's like, it feels like you're trying to have your cake and eat it too. We'll give you 40 cents. And if you get to 250, we'll stop it. But if we don't get to 250, we're okay with that too. You know what I mean? It's, it just seems I, I like- I think it's super common. Yeah, I yeah, hear you, but yeah. I think it's super common. By the way, and in this, right, there's obviously tons of companies that are showing their support for LGBTQ community mm-hmm. as part of Pride Month. And, you know, you've seen the one that you see was the changing the, the logo color. I just saw it on LinkedIn like two days ago, which they, they had the rainbow flag in the, sure. in, the, in the logo. So a lot of people, you know, this is, they put it in a, we'll put it in the category of the black square where they're just like, oh, look at me. I'm very supportive. And I throw, I throw a logo out here, mm-hmm. make her feel good. At least in this case, you know, obviously Burger King is, is, is actually donating, right? But. But Burger King, by doing this, is kind of living up to his reputation of trolling competitors, right? So they use part of the mes- a message to take a not-so-subtle jab at, at Chick-fil-A by saying, and I quote, during hashtag Pride Month, even on Sundays, your chicken sandwich craving can do good. And it's the every, with it's the even on the, Sundays that's the jab. It's the even on Sundays that's the jab. That's yeah. right, right? So, um, so they put it on Twitter. Of course, people responded to it, et cetera, but... You know, it's a jab because, of course, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays, right? Now, Chick-fil-A CEO Dan Cathy is known for having a strong you know, Christian values, once again, closing the, the, the restaurant every Sunday. Over the years, they've been criticized for their support of anti-LGBTQ organizations. And actually, in 2019, after a lot of, of, of um, you know, uh, activists complained uh, to Chick-fil-A, they actually announced that they will stop funding several of these more controversial groups by 2020. Um, and the CEO directly has also been criticized for his stance against same-sex marriage, as well as his family's history of donating to anti-gay groups. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, Burger King, by the way, has a deep history of trolling its competitors. And the most common victim for, for Burger King is, is actually McDonald's, right? And there was some, like, total, like, awesome ones, right? So I found a couple of examples. So apparently, uh, McDonald's lost their trademark, their trademark for Big Mac mm-hmm. in, the, um, in the UK. So, so what these guys did this is I put a picture of it, so I'll describe it, okay? So they changed all the images and names of their menu. This is inside of a Burger King restaurant, right? And what they called it is like you think about the category at the top it says not Big Macs instead of like quarter and pounder. So or whatever, instead of says, saying like yeah. Whopper, Whopper and it says like not you know, Big Macs, yeah, instead of saying Whopper and like double, I forget what they call it, like double Whopper, all of these, right? The name said like first one was like it's called like a Big Mac but actually big. <laughs> the second one's called. Burger Big Mac, wish it was. And then it was kind of like a Big Mac, but juicier and tastier. Uh, and the other one's called Anything But a Big Mac. And then Big Mac-ish, but flame grilled, of course. Right, And like, this is in their restaurant. In this their the restaurant, menu in which the back. is yeah, as you're hilarious, food. right? Um, they also had, uh, I love this stunt. A lot of stuff happens in Europe, so I'm kind of wondering that maybe the rules are a little bit looser over there. So that was pretty funny, but they're all just disaffected and smoking yellow cigarettes. They don't care about this. They're stuff. great, it right? Takes so more to cut through the clutter. They launched this campaign where they basically literally hid a Big Mac behind a Whopper because their claims are the Whopper is so much bigger, right? So they they put it behind the Whopper and they you couldn't see it. You couldn't see it. <laughs> you couldn't see it. <laughs> it was like hidden behind it, right? So and and they called it out another creative. But so what about saw the whole it, idea of like you don't talk about your the more attention you give to your competitors, the more it feels like you're trying to kind of jab at them and you're yeah. But but I think you know this I mean? is their brand. Like it they is. are trollers, and, and, and I think it's extremely effective. And like, they've been known for you know even going back to what was the chicken thing, the virtual chicken. Like back twenty years ago, this was like the, uh, it's been part of their brand for a long time. And I think that, people appreciate that. Like they like, do that sense of you're um, right. So I think irreverence it, or whatever. I think maybe. that what is mm-hmm. tough is if that's not your brand and you try to do it all that's of a sudden, terrible. it's really tough. Terrible. Because like oh now you feel like yeah. sour grapes, but right. Uh, by the way, in the creative, they put it. They put it when they shared it on social. Like, thanks for having our backs this year, mm-hmm. Mackie D's. <laughs> Hashtag mm-hmm. Whopper secret. And then there was a time, by the way, that I love some probably maybe the best when they basically told people that they could buy a Whopper for a penny. There was only one catch; they had to buy it near near McDonald's, right? So, so what they did is they created an app for Burger King, which has you know location GPS. And if you're within, I think it was 600 feet of a McDonald's, you can order a Whopper using the app for a penny. So it's like so go it's like, drive yeah, next go to the McDonald's, stand next to our competition, and order one of our products, order, and we'll our product. for free. Exactly. Yeah, how, that's just how awesome is that? Uh, These guys yeah. are just like on mm-hmm. it, right? So very much in their brand to basically sure. use everything they do as a way to troll. But uh, I think they encourage or cringe, of course, uh, Burkin using their announcement. Uh, for Pride Month and supporting this organization, but also the way to throw some shade uh, to uh, Chick-fil-A. So my observations begin with one very simple, incontrovertible fact. 
And that is that I've been all over this country and driven by a lot of Chick-fil-A's. I don't think I've ever not seen a line wrapped around a Chick-fil-A For ever. Sure. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a line wrapped around a Burger King. So I think on some level, whatever the hell Chick-fil-A is doing, keep doing it because clearly it's working. Um, and I've only had uh, actually eaten there a few times, so I can't claim it's knowledge of what their menu is. But Something that that's happening there is clearly working. My kids go to Chick-fil-A all the time, like all the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know them going like, I can't wait to get to Burger King, e even despite their irreverent advertising. So, Well, they're, they're in a different category, right? Because I'd imagine, I didn't pull this up, well, but, but not for Burger chicken King is though. at a multiple bigger than, than Chick-fil-A, right? Just like, it's like, I will put, I will put, uh, well, sure. put uh, In-N-Out in the same category, right? You go to any In-N-Out. It's always lined down the block. And I think part of what they do a good job of, and I even think that the Sunday thing plays in their favor, is it's the whole idea of actually uh, limiting where you can get the product, how mm -hmm. often you can get it, mm -hmm. also creates this kind of urgency. By the way, my daughter loves Chick-fil-A. I think loves it does it. too. I and think I think it does that actually too, plays I, to like their, their strength. But I think there's there's more than that. I think it's also the quality of, or at least what they how it feels, right? The times that I've been in there, and it hasn't been that many, but you know, quality of ingredients and this sense of like, I remember back in the day, Disney, when you would go to Disney and you, there was a guy like sweeping up like gum or cigarette butts or whatever. And he'd be like, how you doing, sir? Nice to meet you. Everybody just seems so really like friendly yeah, and, and happy. Mm -hmm. And there's something to this that's deeper than just, you know, we've got less locations than Burger King. They have a ton of locations, by the way. And they're in, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to count them off right now, but it looks like 35 states. So uh, it, just in the U.S. So I, I know that they're much smaller. You're right. Mm -hmm. But I also don't think that they're like in an out burger, which but, is a much But even more, within the states, they're, they're, they're a lot less of them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't dispute my, that. My only point of reference is having to hunt these things down with my daughter. Sure. I don't, I, and it's yeah. like, it's harder to get to, to these things. I don't dispute it. I don't dispute it. So look, I, let me start off by saying, mm -hmm. I think it's cringe. Um, uh, I, I, taking into account the fact that their brand is an irreverent one, all this kind of tonality. The reality of it is, and I've said it before on this show, that Christianity is the last thing of which you can make fun of and have it be okay for everybody. The fact that this that this organization closes their um, locations on Sunday is because they believe that Sunday should be a day of rest, Sunday should be a mm -hmm. day when you're worshiping God, and Sunday should be a day that you're spending with your family. That's what they really believe. And you know what? They own the place. They should absolutely have that right. So taking sure. a dig at that and by virtue throwing in the whatever, there's about 60-some-odd mm, million Catholics, another 60-some-odd million Christians, about 130 million people in the country, and saying, hey, this is not necessarily, we're doing a little bit of shade. I just think that that's, again, it's a, it's an easy one. It's it's always the, it's an easy one to beat up on, and nobody seems to have a problem with it except for me. But, um, but you know, that's that's a reason why. The reality of it is this man has closely, or this, this company has closely held beliefs about what Sunday should be. Mm-hmm. And about their faith, and that's the reason why they exercise it in that particular way. And then the LGBTQ thing is an additional kind of dig in that direction. I don't know enough about the controversial, as you said, the controversial organizations that they've supported, but I think that in the context of this story, any organization that says, hey, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman would be deemed controversial. So if that's the case, then you know that to me is garden variety Christianity and 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 something that again doesn't rise to my level of sort of outrage. Um, but I, I just think that it's I get the brand, I get their tonality, I understand all that. But this was like just that additional level too far, and I mm -hmm. think that for me that's what makes it a cringe. So, Got it. There you go. So yeah, I'm in the complete opposite camp. I think it's hilarious what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I think if it, it fits really well to their brand, the reason why I think it's I support even more is that this is not outside of what they, they're not singling out in any way Chick-fil-A in their approach of how they treat their brand and how specifically they treat their competitors, right? Like McDonald's has gone trolled a bunch of different ways. Now, the reality here, what you're talking about is the fact that Chick-fil-A in part of how they operate has some of these Christian beliefs built into it. But uh, to me, it's like one thing about going after someone's personal beliefs. A second thing is how you operate your company. Mm -hmm. Then you're opening yourself for that kind of dynamic. And you're in that these guys all battling with each other as restaurants. And the reality is, like, this means nothing for Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, to your point, yeah, super popular, tons of lines. This is going to make zero impact on, you know, people showing up to literally to Chick-fil-A because it's always so crowded. And I think for Burger King, it becomes, like, one of many notches of, of their snazzy, creative approach of how they treat their brand and their voice. 
that like no one's like basically safe when when Burger King's around. I think to your point, it is a very different dynamic that I wouldn't like. It's hard to make an argument that that the Burger King product is better than Chick Fil A's, mm-hmm. especially not in chicken sandwiches. Like you can't say that based on how well they sell. Like that's definitely not the, not the case. But the fact that they use all these opportunities to do like little digs against their competitors, I, I think it's pretty. From a marketing brand positioning voice, I think is right on point to what to what they do, and um, I understand that. Yeah, yeah, I think that I always like to play these exercises where, like, let's imagine for a second that Chick Fil A is owned by a Jewish family or a Muslim family, and we say, well, you know, the, and the Burger King ad says, hey, and even we even have item, we even have pork items on our menu, like. People would have an absolute catastrophic meltdown. But because yeah. it's Christianity, no problem. No problem at all. Yeah. yeah. That's the issue that I think yeah, is, no. is, worth, is worth reflecting on. Yeah, and it's, it's hard to make that, it's hard to argue against that point. Um, I think in this case, the fact that they have had controversy and they themselves admitted to changing who they're going to be supporting based on getting pushed from the, from the public, then they've opened themselves up for that. That even if their beliefs are correct and what they have, them admitting publicly that they're going to change who they support admits that they were supporting the wrong organizations to begin with. So, once again, it puts it in my mind and free, you know, at that point, it's, it's kind of open game. Got it. Okay, cool. So, uh, one... It's graduation. One, one for not one. One for zero. <laughs> so, topic two, uh, graduation. So, a North Carolina, North Carolina high school refuses to give teen his diploma for violating the dress code policy uh, because Sounds he wore harsh. a Sounds Mexican harsh. flag uh, to graduation, right? Uh, and this is a story that definitely been bubbling up like really quickly. It started at the end of last week. So it was reported by USA Today. On Monday, so just uh, yesterday, we recorded this on Tuesday, uh, Evan Lopez, uh, who's a high school teen, uh, finally received actually his, diplomas, his diploma four days after being initially denied by the principal of his school for draping a Mexican flag over his gown. Quick, quick, uh, just pause for clarity on this. When I graduated from high school, I got this, like, folder that had nothing in it. It was a fake thing. When I walked up to get, I shook the, the principal's hand, and they hand you this thing for the photo op, you don't get your right. diploma till after. My son just graduated last week as well, which is why I have some firsthand experience here. The same thing for him. He didn't actually have his diploma when they... Uh, walked on the stage. Is that what this means? When, when did they actually give? Yeah. Well, this case, his actual diploma was being denied from him. Like his his diploma of graduation. Like right? he was not legally so graduating was, or whatever, correct. academically graduating. Right. Right. Okay. Right. right. Okay, so it. it wasn't just the the your 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 point, the prompt. Right. Okay. Um. Yeah. And I, I don't know how they. I mean, I don't know. Frank, I don't remember how, when I was in high school what how they did it. But well, when you didn't they graduated you, from high school. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> when they give you the actual the you actual right diploma. to college. Right to college. Yeah. 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 Uh, so Ashboro City School officials, right, which is the, the the school in North Carolina, said last week that Lopez' violation of the dress code was grossly unfair and diminished the event. Now, in a statement, the school said, the heart of the issue is the fact that the student did not follow the established dress code for the event and the, the detracted from the importance of and the solemnity of the ceremony. Our dress code is in place to ensure the dignity of the event is upheld and is fair to all students. Now, apparently, there was an actual email that was sent by the principal stating the dress code, right? And it had things like, if you're if you're a boy, you know, dress pants, yeah, dress yeah. shoes, mm-hmm. et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what it did not say on the in this in this email is that it didn't give any guidance to the students regarding being able to wear anything over their gowns. It was things about what they could wear, like underneath their gowns, right, including flags. Um, now, after he was denied his diploma, the principal actually met with the students and and his parents, and asked him to apologize. Basically, if you don't apologize, you're not going to get your diploma, right? Which he refused to. So the student refused to apologize for what the principal said was a violation, violation of the dress, dress code. code. Correct. It. Now, the problem here is that that interaction was recorded, right? Um, and the whole thing went when went viral, right? So there was a petition uh, on the charts. Prin- I haven't seen it. Was the principal like super douchey and passive aggressive? Was that like? Well, I mean, just because I can believe that if that happened. But you I mean, I guess you can put it put it this way. It's one thing to like reprimand the guy, the guy be like, mm-hmm. hey, you're, you know, whatever, this was a distraction. Da, da, da. Yeah. But to say you don't ever get to graduate high school because you wore a flag over, like, you don't get your diploma. Like, I, just, I don't know what the recourse is anymore. Like, does he have to go take summer classes? Like, is the whole no thing idea. void? Like, I have no idea. Can they really withhold it? Like, it, it, there's a bunch of questions like that, right? But, but apparently was, he did get it, though, four days well, later. Well, yeah, but, but that was after like tons sure. of pressure, right? Um, the, the, the thing about it as well is that, um, 
when when they were talking to him, there was like police officers present, and they escorted the whole family out. I mean, the the looks of this was just the optics are not good, terrible, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, the whole thing went went viral. There was a petition on, petition on change.org um, that was created to pressure the school to release his diploma, and it got over a hundred thousand signatures. Right? This is this a private school or a public school? I think it's a public school. Public uh, school. The controversy became wow. so heated. That they had to get extra police patrols, oh, yeah, right? School. As they were being, as basically the the you know they were they were receiving threatening emails, right? Tons of outrage on social, attacking the school, claiming mm-hmm. racism. You know, of course, those that supported the school basically made the point that that he had violated the dress code, right? So, and four days later, as mentioned, he finally did get his diploma, and and there was no uh, you know Charnage, there was no no apology from the student. There was actually the, I saw the press conference where the where the mom. Was you know very like showing literally showing the diploma to the crowd, and she was yeah. asking for an apology from the school, sure. right? Um, and saying it's not just how the whole thing was handled, blown out of, like blown out of proportion. The fact that you had police there like escorting yeah. them out, like I'm it was not sure just what that's about. So, anyways, all of this courage or cringe on the the high school refusing to I will say I guess initially not give this teen his diploma because of the the violation or at least they claim the violation of the dress code. Okay, can we just hold that thought for a second because yes. I really have to leak. I have to take a pee. Just give me two <laughs> seconds. I'll be right back and I'll cut this part out if we need to. But yeah, yeah. yeah. breath <laughs> go ahead and, and back from the break <laughs> we're gonna insert a sponsor message there exactly um but yeah i mean ultimately it is that right is the courage or cringe of the school yep deciding to at least initially withhold um the diploma from the student for what they claim to be a dress code violation uh for me it's it's complete cringe mm-hmm. like all of it is complete cringe mm-hmm. look i think even if they're right like it sounds like there was the, the 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 dress code policy was vague enough that I could see the kid making an argument that he this wasn't specifically stated. But but let's say it was actually specifically stated. Let, let's give let's give the school a hundred percent benefit of the doubt that the policy was really really clear. Like you cannot wear wear anything over your gown. You could only and usually that's the what if I recall correctly from graduations like. Usually get to decorate the top of your hat, you know. The mortar and, and exactly and right tassel. And, mm-hmm. and when you think about the year that we've had, mm-hmm. with these kids literally like going through school in one of the most difficult times that we've had as a you know history as a country, and this kid you know is looking to show pride of you know his family whatever by wearing this flag. I get that as a school you may not like it. I could get you even reprimanding the student and something. Like, hey man, like we can't like. We hear all the reasons why, you, sh- you know, you can't do that. But the moment you start trying to withhold the, the diploma, like there was no scenario where that wasn't going to end poorly for the school. That it doesn't, whether it's racist or not, it at least looks that way. And I think the, it puts the, the, the school in a very bad position. And also because of where this has happened. This is North Carolina, right? And you have, I'm sure, this dynamic of immigrant communities and sure. smaller percentage of the total population. Maybe raise some conflict with it. I mean, I'm, I'm filling in the, the gaps here, but you can totally see that being the case, right? There's probably a little bit of tension already with some of these communities that are more immigrant versus versus the, the, the more like the white immigrants, that, the white, um, white residents that are already there. For all of those reasons, like there is no upside of doing this. Having the police be there, whether they were called or just they just have to be there, it's just like the first time I say, "Hey, like go stand over there." Like I don't need you guys right here next to me. Like this becomes a parent-teacher, parent-principal conversation that sure. could have been addressed a bunch of different ways. I just think that they 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 turn a potential like small issue into a massive thing by doing this, uh, and got all the attention, but all the wrong kind of attention. Well said. So uh, North Carolina High School refuses to give teen his diploma for violating the dress code policy. I agree. That is a cringe for sure. And we'll start with that. I agree with the thing that you said too also about the context of where we find ourselves in. You know, I just went through to a graduation, like I said last week, my sons, and we went through a variation of this. My son got honors in mathematics, in history, and a number of different things. And you get these um, stoles that you wear with honors. Mm -hmm. He graduated uh, summa cum laude. So like he wanted to wear all these different things. And at one point, the principal said, no one's going to wear anything. And my wife freaked out. She's like, we're going to, he's going to wear his stoles. Let's say he has an honors this. He's also a pilot. He had an aviator stole. He had a whole bunch of different things, right? Ultimately, 
the principal relented and allowed people who had graduated with distinctions to wear those particular distinctions. And like this particular school did, he also stipulated that on their mortar board, which is the top like weird square hat that they wear, that they could also put different things there. But that beyond those things, they were not to wear things. Mm -hmm. This one particular kid who was a Samoan kid followed all the, all the, all the, guidelines, right? But he, his little hack was he wore his Samoan stuff underneath. So what, after he got his thing, he took off everything was like underneath was his Samoan stuff, right? right? I think, you know... By the way, I, and that mm, happens literally like, in the history of graduation this happened every, every single time. graduation there was a kid who, all the time. There was a kid who did a backflip off of the stage, okay, in the graduation. This is a Catholic school, you know, pretty buttoned up, but he did a backflip off the thing. So... My thinking about this, I had made the dis- in one of our earlier conversations. I described the idea of the effectiveness of opening a window with a hammer. It's like, yeah, it's, it's you're gonna open the window. You're gonna get, you're gonna get some air. Good job. You're gonna get <laughs> yeah. some air, right? That's kind of falls into this category for me as well. It's 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 way overkill, and it has nothing to do with the issue. The the school actually came out. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but the school came out with a uh, uh, Ashboro City Schools. They came out with a big statement. They're like, first and foremost, we support our students' expressions of their heritage at the appropriate time and place. Our graduation uh, mm-hmm. dress code is clearly shared with students ahead of time, blah, blah, blah. Wearing right, right. like So they went and by the book, these guys are right. The kids should not have violated it. And the question, which then gets opened up, is listen, if you wear the flag, somebody wants to wear a clown suit, another guy wants to arrive in a spaceship, somebody has wants to have a backpack that takes, that they, you know, rocket shit off the stage. Yes, I get it. All the things are right, but the point is the reaction that they had and the way that they used to correct it was the hammer to open the window, mm-hmm. and ultimately it creates much more drama that's necessary here, okay? For this sure. would have been a, here's your diploma, and dude, not cool. You know that we talked about this, and what that does is it makes us now have to be, like, go tell everybody they can't do any of this because, like, we can't have this now. Right. It, it creates more specific rules. That's the reality. And that's the reality, right? So, right, But that's yeah. a conversation you have with the kid, and you say, hey, listen, man, that's just, you know, it doesn't put us in a good spot and wish you hadn't have done it, but to do all this is overly dramatic, and it's just way above the line. It's actually a missed opportunity to actually talk to this young man and say, hey, listen, like we want you to understand we really have your back in terms of this stuff, but the way you did it wasn't right, and it puts us in a bad spot. It's not about cops. It's not about withholding diplomas. Right. That's just wrong. It's a cringe. And, and, I, and I think that the thing, too, that I think about, because going back to the example you were saying about your, your son's graduation, is the kid with the Samoan outfit underneath, right, taking it off. And, you know, you could put him in, like, that's a distraction category, right? But the reality is those are the moments that, I think when you're graduating, like everyone remembers that. Like sure. the kid did that. Like that becomes like they a do. fun part because you're. It's a celebration, and I think agree. Teacher needs to remember that this is a celebration, especially when so much bad shit has happened. Agreed. That there is like this moment that, in some cases, like the first time that some of these kids are actually coming together, right? Being in person, like being able to celebrate that they somehow, um, you know, in the middle of this massive pandemic, they still were able to kind of graduate through the year, like. Those are I. I'm saying there should. I'm not saying there should be no rules. But going back to when you think about, I think your hammer example is a perfect example. Like even if you disagree with it, like there's just so much better ways to deal with that. And and having said all that, I do think there's a place for pomp and circumstance. I think there's a place for formality and the beautiful legacies of these traditions and the idea of a mortal mortar and a tassel. All of those things are beautiful. And in a way, that's what makes the guy who p- opens it up to show the Simone thing so interesting is that it's in the context of this thing. I wouldn't want to lose that. Just have everybody up there looking like they're going to like the mall and getting their diploma. Yeah, but, but, I, it, but just think about the example you just described. Under their policy, that kid doesn't get a diploma either. Well, that's but we've agreed that this is. We've agreed. I'm saying like like that's my point. We've agreed. We've agreed that this is cringe. My point is that I wouldn't want the answer to be we're going to dispense with all of these things because that's part of the memory too. The part of the memory is wearing that thing and and having this sense of like I'm now in this other space and it's rarefied air. All those things I think are also good and part of memories. But anyway, we're agreed. Right. So we're back to fifty fifty. Good job. Back to 50. All right, so last one, courage or cringe? And this one, I'm a little sad, the fact that this is one of our topics, because I'm a big, big fan of this show. And I was honestly very surprised when I heard the, the controversy around it. So Kim's Convenience... One good thing coming out of Canada. Kim's one Convenience... <laughs> I'm not going to respond to that. Kim's Convenience called out for the lack of diversity in its creative direction and its writer's room by its own diverse stars. Mm-hmm. Right? So Kim's Convenience is actually a pretty successful Netflix show. Uh, as you mentioned, um, um, out of out of Canada, about this Korean Canadian family who runs a corner store in Toronto, right? Now, there's a lot about the show that makes it pretty unique. Starting with the fact that the 
all of the central characters of the show are, are Asian, right? But now that it's coming to the end uh, after five seasons, there is actually growing controversy about the lack of Asian representation and input in the creative direction and writer's room. Uh, and the call-out is calling, not, you know, not coming from the fans, but from the stars of the show, right? So this started a, maybe about a week or so ago when Simu Liu, who is one of the central characters of the show, and who's, by the way, his own star has recently risen significantly as he's, be, he's about to become the main lead of the newest uh, film for the Marvel Universe, for the Marvel Universe, expressed his, his frustration about the show. Now, in a post, he mentioned that he was disappointed in the show's overwhelmingly white producers not accepting more input from the majority Asian-Canadian cast. He also reflected on his character's journey, saying that he wanted to be part of a sixth season, but had grown increasingly frustrated with the portrayal of Jung, which is the name of his character, and how, uh, how he and other cast members were treated. Mm-hmm. And he said, and I quote, I love the show and everything it stood for. I saw firsthand how profoundly it impacted families and brought people together. Uh, I remain fixated on the missed opportunities to show Asian characters with real depth and the ability to grow and evolve. Now, this now initi- do you do you think he meant that from day one or from season five? I think from the ability the, mixed it, up missed opportunities. I yeah, mean. I think the missed opportunities is, 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 is I think it started to grow and it kind of goes into the history, right? Because it, it talks a little bit. Now I'll get to it in a second yeah. in terms of how you know uh, Kim's convenience actually started the co-creator, right? Who's also uh, uh, Korean uh, Canadian, right? So I think this is more like I'm sure it's been building up, okay, and it got significantly worse. Right, but initially it was it seemed like it was just him, and, and frankly, when I first heard this, I almost put it in the category like, well, this guy now has like a major film coming out. All of a sudden, is like a little bit of a diva kind of you know Oof. situation. But his co-host Jean Yoon, who um, actually backed him up on Twitter, now she plays the mom of him in the in the show, and she said, as an Asian Canadian woman, a Korean Canadian woman with more experience and knowledge of the world of my characters, the lack of Asian female especially Korean writers in the writer's room of Kim's made my life very difficult and the experience of working on the show painful. Now, she went on to say that they discovered storylines that were overtly racist and so extremely culturally inaccurate that the cast came together and expressed concerns collectively. Right Now, the show itself is based on In Choi's uh, play of the same name. Mm-hmm. According to Yoon, the, the, the actress, you know, she said that the, while the show's creator in Choi is is Korean Canadian. She said that Kevin White, who is his partner, is a, the is show a showrunner runner. and co-creator, actually held the power behind the scenes. That right? sounds totally believable, by the way. That there's does, also yeah. there's always a brainchild, but then sometimes that brainchild, like or point of inspiration, like they're not actually running day to day. Yeah, and I think that's what it sounded like here. In that Choi had basically diminished presence on set, and that his lack of involvement was concealed from the cast. And I think this is right. part of the why I do think it speaks to. It was the collection of, you know, by the fifth season, this has, like, really become a problem because apparently he had a much stronger role at the beginning, and then by the fifth season, he his role was much more diminished. Now, the show, by the way, had already been renewed for a sixth season, but with both co-creators actually decided to exit the show, the show wouldn't continue. And to add salt to the wound, um, there are actually plans for a spinoff. It just happens to be with the one non-Asian central character of the show. <laughs> Sounds like an SNL. It's like, you, it's you like an SNL. You can't make that up. It's like, an SNL skit. Is. It's literally an SNL skit. So there's a lot there. Yo, I still saw some posts, by the way. On, on I didn't put it on here, but I saw some posts of one of the one of the one of the writers from the mm-hmm. writers' room, who apparently is Asian, talking about like thanking people about this process, and it, they they're making it sound like there was more representation in the actual writers' room. Um, yeah, there definitely the part, is. The part is that, that maybe it's not clear to me is maybe. They could have been Asian, but not necessarily Korean Canadian, oh, which is, which is me, I'm sure that's actually the case, right? Um, the, this is, uh, uh, I mean, look, um, the, the way that Kim's convenience, which you didn't touch on, but I think what you're referring to is the way that Kim's convenience responded. And one of the things they said is like, hey, we've got this woman who's a South Asian writer. Right. And she's the co-executive producer, and she's worked on Kim Convenience since the very first season. And this woman said, hey, I became a writer because I love telling stories. And she went through all this stuff and identified all these other Asian people. But it's unclear to me. First of all, she's not Korean. And, For sure. And it doesn't seem like the other people are Korean either. And, and to this me, is a, it, a very Korean No, but it reminded, me, it reminded me a little bit about, you know, coming up, uh, you know, in some, in some cases, coming up Latino in the U.S., I've been asked many times, it's like, well, you know, you're Mexican or whatever it is, because Mexican is the majority of the people who are here in, in the country that, or from Mexican descent. 
but the but the the idea that there may be other Latinos not from Mexico is like lost on right. a great majority of folks who have ever asked me that question. And the same thing, this comes off as yeah. so bizarre. It's, it's like, it's hey, listen, odd. we have someone from Nepal that's a writer. What are you complaining about? It's bizarre. Right. It's a bizarre thing. What the woman is saying, at least as I understand it, is like, listen, this is a show about Kore- that, that is in large part about Korean culture, about Korean characters, about whatever it is. It's and, all about that. It's not in large part. Like, that okay. is what the show's about. <laughs> Great. So then what does it matter if you have a woman who comes from Bangalore that is writing the show? That's right. interesting. Great. I'm happy for her. But my saying, yeah. as it relates to the issue, the issue at hand is that yeah. relatability and context and also about the Korean stuff. So to me, that defense was even worse than what the worse. actual yeah, issue was. <laughs> it's like, so anyway. And, and it's just, you know, the reason why I found this show so interesting is that as someone that Latino, I, I actually could relate a lot to what the show talked about. I found it really, so like, you know, we talked about creating diverse content, how it could actually connect with a much broader set of people. And I thought that this show, um, especially the earlier seasons, like really did that. I mean, there was so much about the dynamics between the parents and the, you know, the kids as being, you know, they were all like the kids were all first generation Canadians, right? And and the the parents were immigrants, and a lot of those those themes, if you literally replace the characters, you can see that being a Latino family, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was it was so related. That's why I like so much about it, and I at least I felt me not knowing any better that it felt like really authentic. Once again, not knowing because I just don't know enough about the Korean culture to recognize if it is or it isn't. Uh, but there was, but it sounds but, like but it I, may have been more early on than what it would. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it kind of lost its way a little bit as it as it got further further along. But um, but yeah, that's the I mean the sh- the long and the short of courage or cringe here in terms of the cast calling out um, uh, you know Kim's convenience for for basically not having the right kind of you know uh, diversity representation. One missing piece of evidence: what is the motivation, or do we know the motivation of the initial of? Um, uh, Simu, Liu, they, calling they were, it out now. Yeah, I think. Well, one is it's over, right? So they so decided, the announcement of them not doing a season six. Yeah, so they they had basically it had been uh, renewed for two more seasons, mm-hmm. and in the middle of the production of the fifth season, all these issues started really coming up. Um, and I think they decided not to do a sixth season, Got and it. then he came Got out it. and talked about it. Now the timing of it is a little bit. I think is also him having a much broader platform, right? Because. When, when this thing, thing started, they were, I mean, it, it, I didn't talk about it here, but I read it in another article where they said, like, these guys got paid nothing, like, because none of them were known actors, none of them, right? And uh, especially him, like, he was, like, you know, super young dude. Now he's, like, launching this massive Marvel film, is the lead actor, sure. all of a sudden he has a much bigger platform, so I'm sure part of it also came from him feeling like he has a much stronger voice to speak. If that would have been, been him by himself, it was, to me, it would be a lot easier to just call it cringe, mm-hmm. because, like, maybe now it's, like, a little bit of grandstanding, a little bit of, like, diva. But with uh, with the lady who's you know she's an actress who's probably been, I'm assuming acting for a long time, and her feeling that way I think is it, it gives a lot more validity to what he was saying. Yeah, I think to me the the um, the kind of st- I'll go the, the 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 straw that broke the camel's back for me it's courage and the reason for that is principally driven by the response of the Kim's convenience actual. Uh, <laughs> t- 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 well, and, yeah. and here's what I mean by it because yeah. it shows a bit of the detachment from the issue that is being contended as happening. Right. So it's actually evidence to the issue, right? So because Mm -hmm. beyond that, you've got their opinion and you've got, they're saying, hey, we got lots of this. We made the show. Isn't that good enough? But then this whole defense of we've got these people from other parts of the world that happen to be, you know, east of Europe. So that should be good enough. It's evidence of some of the detachment that I think that they're complaining about. Now, whether or not I agree with every instance, or sure. whether or not I agree with this woman saying that it was extremely difficult to work. I like, yeah, yeah, look, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's somebody who's there's, like, there's, little, you know, there's, there's somebody working on a construction site that's having an extremely difficult time. Okay, you're you're not, <laughs> but um, but yeah. but I think in that context and because of the response for me, ultimately, it's a courage that that Simu raised this issue, right? Um, and uh, and I think it's you know I think it's a good thing because at least it calls out these guys where I think that they they're, they're they fell short. I, I'm I'm courage on this as well. I'm with you. On on a lot of things, a lot of reasons you said. I, I and I agree that their response just made it worse. What I what I would find interesting, not that I'm trying to make the counter argument, but I think some people will look at this issue and be like, oh, see, look at that. You can't be you can't it's, win. Like, it's like woke, right? It's like overly woke, you can't win, right? Because I think someone could view this in the category of, oh, but if you're gonna play a gay character, you have to be gay. Otherwise you can't play that character. If you're gonna play a whatever, then you have to be that, right? We had if you think about it more from Latino content, the first time with J Lo was announced to to play Selena, right? 
they were like, what? She's not Mexican? Like, there was like a big uh, hoopla about it, right? She was, she was Puerto Rican, or she is Puerto Rican. But the thing, the difference between those examples, whether I agree with not or Listen, those I'm examples. Still, I'm still getting over Richie Valens and La Bamba. Okay? Right. Or Richie Valens being a Filipino, right? It plays. <laughs> it's like, you don't have one Mexican. <laughs> right. Exactly. But the difference here is when you're trying to capture those true cultural nuances about a specific group. And to their point, if you don't have folks within that the, the, that literally write the stories, yeah. can talk about that experience, and you're not willing to engage the cast to help influence, then you are missing the boat. Well, I think that and the fact that I'm not sure that that this would have bubbled up to this level if there would have been some nod in this direction. It doesn't have to be a binary thing where everyone in the writing sure. room is Korean. Because like, I definitely don't believe no, in that. No, I, I agree and with I that. And I don't believe that people from South Asia can contribute to a Korean show. And I don't believe in all these different things. But... There's enough of it. There's enough of right. it. And the response confirms it. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think it's it makes it a courage. Yeah. So we're both courage on this one. Um, All right. Good yeah. show. And it's funny because Kim Kavita, once again, I, I, that was a pretty successful show. Uh, I just started watching the fifth season. Um, we'll see. We'll see how disappointed I am by, by the time it's all, it's all done. Very cool. Well, there's a lot of, uh, you know, recent, uh, not a lot, but I mean, some recent... Uh, Korean American, uh, you know, things being nodded at, right? Minari recently in the Academy Awards. Mm, right. Have you seen that yet? Have you seen Minari? I have not, no. Super cool. Super cool story. Cool movie. Um, but uh, anyway, all right. Well, good show, Jesus. Six out of, uh, sorry, two out of three, 66%. Three. That's pretty good. That's pretty We're good. doing pretty we'll take good. Take those odds. <clears throat> we will definitely take those odds. Um, anything else? Any closing thoughts? No, no, no. All right, very good. Well, uh, folks, remember to subscribe. Patreon.com backslash the diversity remix. Got a lot of fun shows coming up. We will see you again next time on another episode of TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.